0: Go ahead and dismiss our kids to the back. and I failed earlier to uh, remind you that we're having Thanksgiving dinner together after worship today. And if you didn't come prepared for that, don't worry. There's plenty of food back there and you're all welcome to stay and enjoy the fellowship and be a part of our little celebration for Thanksgiving. That is not the right passage, right here. This uh, preaching through a book of the Bible has been challenging for me because we hit holiday seasons, and you feel like you're supposed to preach about holiday stuff. And uh, but I refuse to do it. We're gonna we're gonna trudge on through Mark, although it hasn't been drudgery for me. This has really been. This has been a great uh, year for me really to to preach. I've enjoyed this so much and we're we're approaching the end, but we're not nearly there. Uh, so much happens between uh now and then. but we're to the place where Jesus is praying in the garden and this is one of the most dramatic events that's really recorded in the Bible because of just how all of this goes down and we see some things. There's a lot of contrast that we can find in this passage that helps us better understand who Jesus is, better understand how the world, or the, the unbelieving world works in, in, in the culture that we live in, and just who, who we have to be as followers of Jesus and, and disciples of Jesus. There's some things that we need to be doing, and some things that we should not be doing, and all of this is kind of laid out in this passage in dramatic form. First of all, this whole scene happens at night. And that is a significant thing because Jesus reminds us on three occasions before this just how everything that is unseemly sinful happens in the dark, but the light's coming and exposes everything to the light. And then everything will be known because it's been done in the light. He also says to his disciples that you are the light of the world. Ouch. So if if the darkness is ever going to be exposed for what it is, good Christian people that are followers of Jesus have to be the light. That's one thing that we learn in this. Okay, that's very important. This whole scene happens at night. The other thing that happens is there's a lot of chaos that happens at the end of the story, but there's also some uh, uncertainty that's happening at the beginning. The uncertainty is happening with the disciples. and the end, the chaos is happening with the disciples and the mob that comes to arrest Jesus. So in the midst of this darkness, chaos is prevailing. Uncertainty is prevailing. But the one constant that is in control and at ease with everything that's going on is Jesus. Which should bring great comfort to us. For those that follow him, no matter how dark, no matter how chaotic, no matter how unsure, there is a constant that remains always, and it is Jesus. So let's look at this, beginning in it's chapter fourteen, and beginning with verse thirty-two. says, then they came to a place named Gethsemane, which means olive press or oil press. And he told his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved. I want you to hear how the Greek you may have a note at the bottom of your page. I want I want us to get this because this is so this is so human of Jesus. It says that my soul is swallowed up in sorrow. You hear that? My soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death, he says, remain here and stay awake. He went a little farther. Matthew describes it as about a stone's throw away. Fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Now, Jewish people stood, they prayed like this. They opened themselves up completely to God and everything. But here Jesus is flat on his face, prayed. This just adds to the agony and the depths of sorrow that He's in at this point. This is a very human moment for Jesus. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for You. Take this cup away from Me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what You will. Then he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once again, he went away and prayed, saying the same thing. And again He came and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. They did not know what to say to Him. Then He came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The time has come. See, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up! Let's go see, my betrayer is near. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. With him was a mob with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. His betrayer had given them a signal. The one I kiss, he said, he's the one. Arrest him and take him away under guard. You see how Judas has taken control of this whole thing? He's the one giving the signal. He's the one telling them what to do. He's given direction because he's the one that has the power right now. And the one that always has the power in the dark has control. So when he came, immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. They took hold of him and arrested him. One of those who stood by drew his sword, struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I was among you, teaching in the temple, and you didn't arrest me. But the Scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all deserted him and ran away. Now a certain young man wearing nothing but a linen cloth was following him. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. And that's where we're going to end. This is a dramatic scene because of all that's happened already. We already know. From the time for the Lord's last first last for the Lord's first supper, really, it's not his last supper, but it's the first Lord's supper. We find that he's already he already knows exactly what's happening. He tells them exactly what to do to find the room, and they and they find it exactly like it's supposed to be. He knows exactly who's going to betray him. He knows exactly who's going to deny Him. He knows everything that's going on. And everyone else is kind of in disbelief. They're, Jesus intentionally, by what He knows, puts everyone else kind of at an uneasy state. They really don't know what's happening next in their lives or the lives around them. But Jesus knows He's in total control in this thing from the very beginning. And they get to the garden. And we don't know how many people followed Him out to the garden. But He tells all of them but three, stay here. While I pray. And the idea here is so that he could have just one last moment here in peace so that he could pray to the Father. So he asked everyone else to kind of keep watch. And we don't know what they do. All we know is that suddenly this group shows up to arrest Jesus. So we can assume that they didn't do their job either, or else there would have been some warning given to Jesus. Wait, they're coming, they're coming. But that didn't happen. We can almost assume that everybody's asleep but Jesus. So he tells them to wait, and then he tells Peter, James, and John to come on with him. And he tells them, I am, what does it say? My soul is swallowed up in sorrow. He's telling his closest friends on earth the pain that he is in over all of this. He's needing someone. To stand with him and to stay awake and to pray with him. He needs to know, I think, in a sense that, and what is what I'm doing worth it? And at least three of my closest friends will reassure me that it is worth it because they're going to stand with me and they're going to pray with me and they're going to stay awake and they're going to be good. At least these three guys. So he goes a little farther away because he does truly want time just with him and his father. He wants time with him and God. And what does he say to him, Abba? It's an Aramaic word. It's the same thing as his Daddy. And the emotion behind that word. I know that Bob Carroll's my father. But I know more that he's my daddy. So I call him that when I call him on the phone. Hey, daddy. I know what that word means. And Jesus is praying that daddy. Father, the one with the power. The one that can make anything in the universe happen the way that you want it. With just a breath, you can make this happen. And he says, take this cup from me. And this is not just any cup. This is the the wrath of Jesus has already spoken three times about this too. The wrath that is going to be poured out. The cup of His wrath. He, he tells, he tells uh, James and John. You remember? They want to sit at His right and His left. And He says, you know. He says, are you willing to drink of the cup that I drink? Oh yeah, we're willing to do it. He says, well, you will. But He says, please. If there's any way in the world. Is there, a, is there another way? For all of this to happen, do I have to suffer the loss of you? Do I have to suffer the loss of my human life? Do I have to do all these things? Does it have to be that blood must be shed for sin and death? Is this something that has to happen? And then he says, Nevertheless... It's not what I will, is it, Father? It's what You will. And Jesus has already made it clear on several occasions, I've come to do the will of the One who sent me. There's never been a doubt in Jesus' since the very beginning of his ministry that he was there for the Father's will and for the Father's purpose and nothing else. John's gospel is beautiful at this. He says, I only say what I hear my Father say. I only do what I see my Father in heaven do. I am so completely in tune with his will. And how did he do that? He remained in communal relationship with the Father all the time. He never missed a moment. He never lived a second without that connection of God with his life. Everything that he said, everything that he did was a reflection, was the action of the Father coming to life through him. But what are the disciples doing? And that's us, by the way. I hear a lot about how dark the world is today. People love to talk about... Christians love to talk about how dark it is. Oh, man. This, you know... We live in such a dark, evil place. The world's such an awful place. There's this going on. There's that going on. I could stand here for 20 minutes and recite all that's wrong in the world. And you all would say, yeah, that's right. That's what's going on. But the chief thing that's wrong in the world is that the church was asleep. These guys were asleep when Jesus gave them one imperative, or he gave them two imperatives. First of all, he said to remain here. It was an imperative. It's an imperative language, meaning this is what you are to do. You are to remain here, and you are to stay awake. Two things, that's all they had to do, was remain in this place where I've placed you, where I've asked you to be, and then stay awake with me. But yet Jesus comes back the first time and he calls out Peter. Oh, Lord, if they were to remove Peter from the Bible, I don't even know if I'd believe. I find so much of Peter right here so often. But there's old Peter. Imagine Jesus walking up. And his heart is being broken by what he's got to do, and he walks up, and the three guys that he knows are going to stand with him no matter what, that are going to do what he asks because he's been asking them to do, and he's been telling them that their that their lives are wrapped up in following him, and to to take up their cross daily, and all of those things to deny themselves. And he says, "Stay here and stay awake." And an hour later, he comes back, and they got the drool coming down their mouth, and they're. And we laugh. And he could come back right now and he's going to find the same thing going on in our lives. Because the world is dark. The world is dark. And he said we're the light. But if you're asleep, you're not the light. So he comes and he tells them, can't you stay awake an hour? Then he tells them to stay awake and pray. Imperative language. You must stay awake and you must pray. And now he gives them a better reason. Not because I need you. Not because I I need your human companionship in my darkest hour. Jesus has put that to bed. He is now at the place where he needs to be. He says, you stay awake and you pray so that you won't be brought into temptation. What was the temptation? The temptation was the very thing that follows after all of this, really. He says, the spirit is willing. He's saying to them, your spirit is willing. I know your heart. It's willing. But your flesh is weak. And unfortunately for us, there's no way to separate who we are from who we are. You cannot separate your spirit from your flesh. And Jesus is saying, if you want to accomplish anything in this life, you've got to make sure that your spirit and your body is aligned in the will of God. I've been praying that for an hour, and I can tell you what, I'm ready. Jesus' spirit and Jesus' flesh was on one mission. And He's calling His disciples to that same thing. It's like this. He's saying, I know you love me. But you don't have the strength to love me. Can you imagine that? I know you love me. I know what your spirit is. But if you don't give this flesh some attention, meaning this. If you don't give some attention to the, the worldly values, the worldly um, motivations, the worldly principles by which you live that are going to bring you to a place of slumber. If you don't give attention to those things and get those things straight and in line with your spirit or, or the life that you want to live with me, then you don't have a chance. And that's true for us. The Spirit may be willing. We may be sitting here right here today. Kumbaya, I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I believe in Jesus. I know that I'm not going to perish. I know I'm not going to die and go to hell when I die. I'm going to die and I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And if that's all that there was to it, wouldn't this be a kumbaya moment? But guess what? The world is dark. It's a dark place and chaos ensues out there each and every day. And God has placed in us the light of his son Jesus, who has overcome the darkness. He goes off again and he prays again and he comes back and he finds the same thing going on. They're asleep again and he goes again and a third time they're asleep. And he says, Look, just forget it. You're fixing it. You're, you're going to have to go through this the hard way. He says, enough of this. The time has come. My betrayer's here. And then real chaos breaks out. See, this is how the world is. The church is asleep. Because things are not getting any brighter in the world. Are they? No. This is what's remarkable right now, even in the church. I want you to listen close. Those of you that kind of are on the margins, marginal people that, oh, uh, I attend six, eight times a year, maybe. I believe in Jesus, but I haven't really done anything for him lately, type of thing, okay? <clears throat> you, y'all are leaving the church at an astounding rate, like 3% a year of the church leaves, and it's made up of these folks that are kind of, kind of sort of, not sure what who they are, not sure who they want to be, just kind of been asleep through all of this. And then they leave one day and they say, you know what, I just don't know if I can go back to that and I'm, I don't, I don't, I'm never going back. Sleepy Christians leave the church and they never come back. You know how many of them have left in the last decade? 34% of the total population of the church in the United States, over a third. So people are asleep. They leave asleep and they stay asleep. And the world just keeps getting darker and darker and darker. And you want to know why? Because there's less light. Isn't darkness the absence of light? Is that, is that what that is? I'm not a, I'm not a physicist. I don't even know how to spell it, but that is the truth. Darkness is the absence of light. And so if the world is getting darker, it only means that there's less light. That's the way I understand it. And we're the light. See, those that are coming after Jesus, they're not asleep. They've stayed up all night planning what they're going to do. They haven't only stayed up all night. Judas left. He left that meal and he went straight to where he knew he could get his 30 pieces of silver. And he said, this is how we're going to do this. I've got it all worked out. Just let me be in charge. I know exactly how this is going to go down. They're meeting at the upper room. Well, they go to the upper room, and they're not there. And he says, well, there's only one other place they can be. They're they're in the garden. He said, this is what I'm going to do. It's going to be dark. You won't be able to see, but I'll be able to see. I know who he is. You You don't really know who he is. I know who he is. I've been around him a lot. I'm going to go up, and I'm going to kiss him. And you'll know that's the one that you take. You hear how sinister all that is? In fact, the guy that loses his clothes and runs away naked, a lot of people believe that that was Mark himself, <laughs> because in the in in Acts it says that the, that the church met, the early church met in in Mark's mother's house, and some people believe they speculate it's a nice story that uh, that Mark saw them come to the upper room and realized that they weren't there, so he gathers up a, a a sheet and he runs out the back door to go to go warn them that uh that the crowd's coming, but he doesn't get there in time. He gets there late and uh, winds up losing his clothes in the process. I don't know if that's true or not. Makes a good story. But this I do know is true. This sinister crowd worked all through the night so they, they could get organized to take down Jesus. And if you don't think that there's a crowd out there in the dark of night trying to take down Jesus, then you haven't had your eyes open for very long in this. Now, you can either be like the disciples that were asleep and all of a sudden are astonished by what's happening. All of a sudden, this crowd appeared. How does that happen? A mob all of a sudden appears. You know why a mob can all of a sudden appear somewhere? Nobody's paying attention. They're all asleep. Nobody's paying attention. And so they show up and they take Jesus in the middle of the night because they're organized and they're awake. There's none of them sleeping. They show up with the right tools too, clubs and swords. They're ready to take him down. They take him by the arm and they walk him out of that place. And what does is, what is, what do the disciples do? Anybody read closely? What do they do? Gone. Not hey bye see you later up. Uh, Nothing. Not a word out of their mouth. They just run. They just run. Isn't that sad? It's a sad story. But you know what Jesus said at the beginning of all of this? When when Judas began in his mind to begin to figure out what he was going to do in all of this, what his role was going to be in taking down Jesus. Jesus told him, he said, the way of the Son of Man is set. There's no way you're going to change this for me. But there's a lot of things you can do for you to change this. Nothing was going to change what happened this night because when that crowd showed up, Jesus was already in the will of the Father and He was in community with the Father. There was, nothing, there was nothing that He was facing that wasn't already planned out and empowered by His Father. He knew who He was and He stood before that crowd still and calm and says, Is this truly the way you have to deal with Me? With clubs and spears and swords? He showed the world who He was that night. Everybody else can run that follows me. You can do this in the dark. You can come like a mob. You can think you're going to destroy me. But I'm in control of this whole situation. Whether you like it or know it or not. And that's who Jesus is. Let me tell you. If you're one of those Christians that's just asleep in the dark. That's okay, I guess. Jesus has got control of this whole situation. He does. He's prayed about it. He knows the will of the Father. And it's being carried out exactly like it's going to be carried out. You're not going to change that. What, what you have the opportunity to change is who you are in the story. You see, these guys could have stayed. And they could have done like Jesus They could have said, yeah, why are you coming like this? And when they walked off, they could have just followed Him off. They could have followed Him. They could have taken up their cross and followed Him exactly like He taught them to do and exactly like they claimed to be doing all that time. But they didn't. When the going got rough, they scattered like rats. And I wonder what the church is going to do when things just continually get worse in our culture. Are we just going to... Are we, are we gonna just talk about it? That's not gonna help anything. Are we gonna scatter in the face of this kind of thing? Or, or are we gonna do the one thing that we know that we can do and do well? And that is to just follow Jesus. Just follow him. That's all he said do. From the very beginning till now, all he has said to do is look, just follow me. Whatever happens after that is going to be okay if you'll just follow me. If you've got to say something to somebody, don't worry about it. I can tell you what this is like. My father says it and I say it. If you need to say something, just have your ears open. Whatever he says, you say. Didn't he say that earlier? Yeah, back in chapter 13. Do you remember all of this? He's prepared them for this very time. And and often now, so many of us have got to figure out, well, what way can we, I don't know, Be relevant to people so that they might come to Jesus by this means or that means. Let's just follow Jesus and be the church. Let's just stay awake and pray. And then let's follow the will of God in this. How about that? Let's see what will happen then. It's not going to change anything other than the way that we are in the story. Who we are in the story. And you know what? That matters a great deal to the one who has given his life for you. It matters. It matters. It matters who you are in the story. Because God's got this 30,000 foot view of life. He sees the whole thing. But he's also got this, I'm right by your side view of life. And so God gets to experience your life right here in personal. Intimate every day, while at the same time, has this thirty thousand foot view of what it is doing in his world, his world, not your world, not the naysayers' world, not the one, not the mob's world. His world. That's what he sees. He wants to experience that with you. He doesn't want you to believe that you can just skirt by and when the going gets tough, you'll run, but you'll be back. I'll be back. I'll be back. Really? You'll be back. You know what Jesus had to do to get him back? He had to walk through a wall into a room and say, I'm back. See, when we run, we don't ever come back. But Jesus will come for you. He'll come for you. Well, you want him back. You see how this is? We catch ourselves sometimes lulled to sleep, and then all of a sudden our eyes are opened. And we don't even realize where we are. You ever woke up like that? I'm sure you have. You, you you've woke up and you've rolled out of the bed and hit the floor because you thought you were actually walking somewhere, kind of out of it. Let's stay awake. Let's pray. Let's know the will of the Father and stay in communion with Him and be the church. Let's pray together.